to the Faith is Not Blind podcast. I'm Sarah Devonier, and we're here today with Erica. I am really glad that she's here uh, because I have known about her story for a long time, and it has helped my story. It's, it's a difficult story, and it's a story about trauma and things that shouldn't have to happen to young women, but sometimes they do. And why we're sharing this story is because sometimes young women who go through things that are difficult and who are broken by these experiences become sanctified and wonderful. And that's why we have Erica here today. Thanks. Will you talk a little bit, um, before we get to some of the things that happened when you were a teenager, talk about your life as a child and your life growing up and your family life. It was crazy <laughs> in so many good ways. I have five brothers. Two of them are quite a bit younger, so I really grew up with three brothers, um, and I'm the second oldest. And there was always a part of me that felt like I had to prove I was one of the guys. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> were better tough. than them. I was. I was a very <laughs> tough kid because I had to be. You know, I couldn't be the little sister that wouldn't play with mud. I had to be the one that jumped right in. I was yeah, playing you were in the, the mud. One throwing the I mud. was. I was the one throwing the mud or yeah. shoving my brothers in it. <laughs> So that was kind of me growing up. I had to be the toughest and yeah. And I, I didn't really feel like anybody specifically made me feel like I had to be. That was just who I was. Yeah. I personally wanted to be the toughest yeah. and the strongest. And being the toughest and the strongest, how did that translate into how you perceived what your testimony should be like? You know, it didn't, <laughs> I don't know that it had a whole lot to do with influencing my testimony because I tried so hard to separate that out. Yeah. Because to me, the gospel was much more tender and personal. I felt like that was the part of me that I could kind of hide from everybody and keep it to myself instead of being outgoing and I'm the best in the church. It was just I could be me in the church so and that keep was, it to myself. So that was your private space yeah, where you was, could have your testimony. Do you, When you think about your childhood, when did you start to realize you did have that own individual, private testimony? Not really until things started happening. Um, it was well into all of the craziness that went on in my life that I realized I didn't have a testimony. And that's when I really started searching one out. So, so you grew up in the church, so maybe you yeah. thought you had one, but when, yeah. when push came to shove and hard things happened, were you surprised to know? I was very shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was sitting in seminary one day and we were just reading, you know, scriptures. And I came across, it's John 14, 18, and it says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come for you. And I expected that to be comforting. And I realized it wasn't. And I was only like 14 at the time, something like that. And it kind of struck me as odd that that didn't comfort me. And I didn't like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that... I don't really have a testimony of that and I don't know why. So you had the expectation just sort of going along, growing up in the church, that these things would just sort of come to pass yeah. and that was the expectation. Yeah, I just felt like I was in the church, I should have a testimony, so I do, and that's that. And yeah. it wasn't that way. Let's talk about so when, when you discovered that scripture, when you were in seminary, what were some of the things going on in your life that you needed comfort for? A lot. <laughs> so I was actually sexually abused by a close family friend. Pretty much nobody knows who. People think they know who, but they don't. Um, so that was a big part of it for me. They all thought that it was somebody else. And I felt very alone because I never wanted to rat out the family friend. 
So even though people sort of knew what was happening or what had happened at that point, they didn't at the same time. There was still a big secret involved in that. Yeah. Um, and that led to a lot of self-harm and a lot of mental health issues that spiraled. And I just felt very alone in that. And that's where I thought that comfort would come when I read yeah. that verse. I thought, oh, well, you know, this should be my defining moment. This should be sweet. Now you know God's with you always. But it didn't really happen. Yeah. And that took me off guard. Let's talk a little bit about how you felt at that time. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of details, a lot of things that I don't think necessarily need no. to be shared, but how did it feel to be searching for comfort, maybe even at, at church or other places? How did it feel to have to go through that? And especially with the self-harm, how, how are you feeling about yourself and the world and God at that point? I felt, I guess worthless is the word. Um, I, you know, you grow up hearing you're a child of God. God loves you. He'll never give you anything harder than you can go through. And then there's 14 year old me going through all of this, feeling very alone, feeling like it's just me. And there is no God there helping me out. There is no, okay, you've had enough of your trial. You're done. Let me help you. It was just one thing after another. And I just felt like maybe I wasn't good enough to be a daughter of God. Maybe I wasn't good enough to be loved, and that's why I was going through the things I was going through. Well, and I think it's important to step back and say often when you have girls who have been sexually assaulted or abused, that's that's the result. Yeah. But at what point do you think you got, you started to understand that you hadn't caused that, that it wasn't your fault? Because especially with the law of chastity and trying to be yeah. pure it's so difficult for young women for sure so take us take us through that how <laughs> how and it's difficult it is how can you get to the point where you realize that was not my fault i am still virtuous i can still find god's love you know i started building my testimony from that point when i realized that i didn't really have one i started working on my testimony but I kind of ignored the whole sexual thing because I didn't know how to face it. Mm -hmm. And for me, and I do this really anytime I struggle with anything in the church now, I kind of step back from the biggest issue and I work on other things until I feel like I'm strong enough to face it. Interesting. So that, you know, it's kind of like running a marathon. You don't just go out and run the marathon. You get ready for it first. So I kind of did that with that, not even necessarily intentionally, but it was such a big thing for me that I felt like I couldn't face and I couldn't address and I couldn't come to terms with because I just wasn't ready yet. So I worked on my faith in other areas. I worked on my self-worth. I found ways to love myself and be okay with who I was, but I struggled a lot in the sexual area. It just, it was a big thing for me, obviously. Well, even <laughs> and, just psychologically and emotionally. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I felt like there was no point in saving myself for marriage because I had already been defiled and I wasn't worth it anymore. And it actually wasn't until I met my now husband that that changed. And he was a missionary at the time, and he came over a lot because I've got five brothers, my dad was the word mission leader, <laughs> wanted him to be a good example, you know. So they were over a lot, and I just recognized in him so much good, that there is just so much good in the world, even in just this one person, and my 
dad kind of didn't really explain things that were going on to other people, but my dad's very open and I'm, things were kind of mentioned. So my husband's name is Brett and he sort of knew that there were things going on in my life that were really hard for me. And I knew that he knew and he didn't care mm. in the sense that obviously he cared and cared about me as much as a missionary can in you know, a very <laughs> friendly way, but he just didn't treat me any differently. He was very good to me. He just, he was very friendly. He was, you know, within the right boundaries. Yeah. There for me as much as he could be. I'm interested in the language that you use to talk about how Brett treated you and how he was, because you talked about how he was good and he saw the good. And it's interesting because that's what you said the process was that you went through. You allowed yourself to see the good and develop your testimony in good ways so that you could become stronger to handle those things. And and I think sometimes there are people who feel like it's all or nothing. Either, yeah. either I have to confront this difficult issue, whatever it is, um, or I can't move on. And in your relationship with him and in your relationship with the church, you allowed yourself to focus on what was good and not ignore the other no. stuff, but to prepare yourself for later for when you could deal with it. Yeah. So as you started to become stronger in your faith, how, how were you able to deal with those difficult issues? Um, especially, I, I do want to talk a little bit about young women leaders um, and how they were during that time. Um, and I don't, and I don't want to look at them in black and white terms either, but <laughs> of course. how were the leaders and other people helping you or maybe not helping you during <laughs> that time to get strong enough as you were talking about? Um, a big part of it is I had a few very specific leaders who were very similar to Brett in the fact that they knew what was happening, but they didn't treat me any differently. They didn't look at me like some sad, pathetic little child that wasn't worth their time. They didn't ignore me because I wasn't the perfect young woman. Mm. Or they just included me. They treated me with love, not an overabounding like, oh, I'm so sorry for you, so I'm gonna coddle you sort of love, just a very, I legitimately love you and want to be here for you. And yeah. that helped me a lot because it made me feel like I was worth being loved and I was yeah. worth something because they cared about me. And that is so wonderful that you had leaders like that. Um, let's acknowledge maybe some of the some of the things that maybe were difficult, especially if you're in a community as you were, where there are certain expectations, what were some of the difficult moments that you had dealing with other kids who were members of the church, especially? That was really hard. Um, there were a lot of rumors about me in high school. There were a lot of rumors that I was sleeping around, that you know I was doing all sorts of things I shouldn't be doing and that I wasn't doing. And people just assumed those were true. And some of those actually stemmed from the guy who sexually abused me. He bragged about it to a couple friends, <sighs> acted like I was a willing participant. And that really was hard for me because I there was this big thing that I felt like if anybody knew about it, they would understand and pity me. But instead, people heard about it and assumed that I was you know, just a bad person yeah. doing everything I shouldn't. And that was really hard. That created a lot of trust issues for me. Yeah. Um, especially because it was peers, it was friends, friends that I had known for a long time. 
And they took that to mean that I was no longer worth being friends with. There were a lot of people who stopped talking to me, who stopped hanging out with me, who wanted nothing to do with me because they just decided I wasn't good enough because I wasn't following what I was supposed to in their minds. So how were you able to separate those people from your feelings about the church? Because I think at that point, feeling like not only were they not seeing the good in you, they were seeing things that weren't true. Mm -hmm. How were you able to deal with that in a constructive way so you didn't just want to leave the church or, or want to just say, I, I can't do this, you're all liars, you're all wrong. <laughs> How were you able to move forward in constructive ways? Um, I didn't for a long time. My parents were very much the you go to church if you live under a roof type. And I hated that for a long time. I didn't want to go. I. Uh, we moved wards at one point in the middle of all of this and my leaders weren't as supportive as the other ones because they just didn't know my history. They didn't know me. They made slightly judgmental comments towards me. They in jest came tracting to my house one time for a mutual activity. Oh, goodness. It was, it was rough and I didn't want to be there, but my parents were very much, you go to church if you live with us, whether you want to or not. So I still went, but I stopped going to Young Women's and my mom was in primary. So even though I didn't have a fantastic relationship with my mom, I went to primary as well because I love kids. <laughs> and that's really where I started to change, was being in primary oh. with those innocent, beautiful little children because they didn't care. They didn't care if I came to church in my sweats, not having showered for a week because I couldn't get out of bed. They loved me anyways. They didn't care if I had some scars on my arm from earlier that week that I forgot to pull my sleeve down over. They just loved me and they didn't care. And it was at that point that I realized that we are born good. We come into this world good and that is what God intends for us. He intends for us to be good and to be loved and to be taken care of. And it's the experiences that happen and the things we go through that kind of change that. And they can change us for better or for worse. But if that's what God intended for us to start with, that's where we can be eventually, regardless of what happens around us. Everything else is Satan. And that was a huge turning point for me because I realized the kids who were making fun of me, the kids who wouldn't talk to me anymore, the people who looked at me like I was a freak, the adults who wouldn't talk to me because I wasn't good enough, the parents that told their kids they couldn't hang out with me. That was Satan getting to them. Not that they were bad people, but that was him working through them to try to destroy me and take me away from God. And what a beautiful thing that you could say, okay, I don't, if I can see some things that maybe aren't good, some good choices that they're, some bad choices they're making, <laughs> that you, like you said, could still See them like those little kids. See, still see the goodness in, in them. Um, I, I want to talk about and, and end with this image um, because I can't help it. Uh, <laughs> when you were going through all of this, I remember um, you saying, I just don't fit in. I feel like I'm just outside of the frame and nobody else understands how I am. And at that point, we had had a screw come out of our license plate on our rickety old Suburban, and so our license plate was crooked. And everyone kept coming up to me at the grocery store, at stoplights, they'd beep at me and they'd say, your license plate is crooked, your license plate is crooked. 
And I left it that way because of you. Because when I saw it, I realized it was stable, but it was just a little bit off center. <laughs> and we left it that way for the longest time because you helped me remember that we don't have to look like everybody else. We don't have to have their experiences. We can actually be really beautiful even if we are just a little bit off-center, just a little bit crooked. And I just, I want to ask you one last question, just thinking of that license plate that it used to drive people crazy. People would try and, <laughs> we actually had people want to sneak into our garage and fix it at night, and I wouldn't let them because I said, that's, that's, that is my friend's license plate. I want to remember that being different is beautiful. I want to see the goodness in that. So if you can just end with this last question, now that you have two kids of your own, what do you want to teach them so that they can get through these moments when things are so difficult, unimaginably difficult? Um, what have you learned that you want to pass on to them? That it's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to feel okay. It's not ever going to feel like you're exactly where you should be, but you are. And it's okay to be where you are, no matter where that is. It's okay to be in bad places where you're just not, not bad places, but you know, a bad place emotionally. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to have a hard day. It's okay to cry and doubt and question as long as you work towards getting to a better place. Yeah, and do you, do you feel comforted now? Absolutely. And what gives you that comfort that you longed for as a 14-year-old? Everything. I am able to find comfort in almost any situation now because not every situation is perfect, but not every situation is bad either. Even the hard things have good parts to them. And I have been able to just focus on finding the good in no matter what situation we're in. And that just makes it so much easier to get through the hard stuff and to just see that even the trials are God showing he loves us. He's always there for us through that. And when I start faltering in that, I just hold my daughters and I hug my husband and I go, okay, I don't understand right now, but eventually I will. I didn't understand when I was 14, but I do now. So that understanding will come again. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you.